0: You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report podcast. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan here on the 29th of January 2021. Welcome to episode 394 of the Corporate Report podcast, Solutions, Survival Currency. Now, I'm not going to bother pre-introducing this talk because I think I do a fairly good job of introducing it in the talk itself. And what talk is that? Well, of course, my presentation from the Greater Reset conference that was held over this past week. I'm sure many of you already know about this because I did talk about it during a recent Solutions Watch, talking to John Bush, but in case you didn't, I'll throw in the link to that and to The Greater Reset generally so you can go and check out some of the talks that were given. This is my presentation, which I commend to your attention even if you did see the live version of this presentation. I hope you will watch this presentation because video editor extraordinaire Brock West has provided the visual information and context and clues uh, that I think will make it a lot more understandable for visual learners in the crowd. So uh, I think it's probably worth watching. And as always, I really suggest it is worth going through the show notes uh, for this particular edition of the podcast. It will be available at corporatereport.com slash survivalcurrency. Just type that into your browser and you will get the show notes for this, which are voluminous and... I think, informative and instructive in opening up the conversation about survival currency. So what is survival currency? Well, let's get into that. Without further ado, here's my presentation from the Greater Reset Conference. Uh, Thanks so much for having me here today. Uh, This is such an important topic that we're discussing here tonight, as I know you all know. Um, But so because it is such a big topic. I want to try to limit it down to something manageable. So I think that on the Greater Reset website, what I'm talking about tonight was billed as something like the, uh, the power of alternative currencies. I'm going to take a much more manageable and bite-sized uh, approach tonight. I'm going to talk specifically about solutions, survival currency. And that's an important distinction that I'm going to make in a minute here. But first, I wanted to start today with a letter that I just uncovered that I think will be very interesting to you. So I'm going to read this letter to you. It's from New United Nations HQ, Consumer Enforcement Division. It's to Winston Smith, and it is dated the 17th of February, 2025. The subject of this letter is revocation of commercial interaction license. And it reads, dear consumer, Our biometric detection division has confirmed that you participated in the protests at last month's coronation of Hillary Clinton as Supreme Leader of the United States for life. Your case was reviewed by our enforcement personnel and you were found guilty of unlawful dissent. As a result, all of your financial accounts have been closed, your carbon credit allowance has been frozen, and your consumer participation chip has been deactivated. You have been downgraded from consumer To laborer. As such, you may proceed to the nearest Federal Emergency Management Agency labor camp to receive your work assignment. You will be provided a space in the dormitory and three meal credits per day. All hail the new United Nations. Praise be to Secretary General Rothschild. Ha, 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 yeah, ha, ha, funny, of course this isn't a real letter, this is something that I wrote back in 2016, it's just, uh, just joshing you, ha, 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 new United Nations and some sort of a consumer and enforcement division that's going to be looking at your uh, protest activities and taking you off of the, uh, the monetary grid as a result of them, oh, what crazy, stupid science fiction, oh, wait, oh, Oh, no, this, this isn't science fiction. Of course, this letter is completely fake. But this letter is very, very real. And I'm going to read this letter to you, which came out on September 4th of 2014 and was addressed to Speedy Cash of Savannah, Inc. by SunTrust. Who wrote, SunTrust continuously reviews its products, markets, and client relationships to ensure that we are able to provide the best possible client service while also meeting our corporate business objectives. There are circumstances where we will identify a specific account relationship that no longer meets these criteria. In the best interest of our clients and SunTrust, we will request that those accounts be closed. As a result of a recent account review, we regret to inform you that SunTrust is no longer able to provide some of the financial services you require. We respectfully request that you immediately begin closing all of your SunTrust deposit accounts, safe deposit boxes, and credit cards by October 6th of 2014. If you do not close these accounts by this date, we will need to close them for you and either hold the proceeds until we hear from you or mail you a check for any collected balance, blah, 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 etc. Yes, this is an actual letter that was really sent out from SunTrust Bank to one of their clients, Speedy Cash of Savannah, Inc., in 2014 to close their account. But why, you say? Well, actually, that's a funny story. And by funny, I mean horrifying. Namely, the Department of Justice's Operation Chokepoint. If you are unfamiliar with Operation Chokepoint, I highly suggest you become familiar with that little operation that was perpetrated by the DOJ under Obama. It started uh, as an idea in 2011. It was uh, first revealed to the public in 2013, and it was shut down for good in August of 2017. So nothing to worry about, guys. It's just this completely illegal, totally unconstitutional scheme whereby the DOJ used the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is an independent agency of the U.S. government, guys. Don't worry about it. It's totally independent. It's just that the DOJ used the FDIC and its supervisory role over banks like SunTrust and many, many, many others, all of the banks that participate in the FDIC uh, 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 scheme to insure your savings. Well, they have a supervisory role over those banks. So the DOJ leaned on the FDIC to lean on the banks to pressure them to close the accounts of businesses, completely legal, law-abiding businesses that they didn't like. And an example of those kinds of high-risk activities that the DOJ wanted to uh, essentially outlaw from using banking services included those greasy and undesirable payday lenders, those kind of scammers and prostitutes and tobacco shops and Small pharma, not big pharma, they're okay, obviously, but, you know, the small kind of pharmaceutical buy, buy cheaper drugs from Canada kind of mail-order stuff. Uh, online gambling, dating services, coin dealers, ammo dealers. Yes, again, completely 100% legal and law-abiding businesses had their bank accounts closed because the FDIC leaned on their bank to make sure that they closed those accounts. And it was just suggestion. It was just guidance. They were just holding their their power over these banks as, oh, we, you know, we could come in and use our supervisory role to start making changes or, or we could put you guys in the naughty books unless you close these accounts. And they did. And this was a huge thing. And it took Multiple lawsuits, threatened lawsuits, as well as a congressman who was actively fighting against it for there even to begin to be pushback on this. It wasn't until 2015 that the FDIC said, well, maybe we'll stop doing this. And then by 2017, supposedly they really did. But Operation Chokepoint, I did write an article about this that I'll direct you to. It's called Choke Point: How the Government Will Control the Cashless Economy. Again, I wrote that article in 2016, and here we are five years later. How much further along the road towards that nightmare vision of a society where the government can come in and shut people off, not just from having a bank account, but from transacting at all, in a cashless economy. A cashless economy will never get there. Well, fast forward to 2021, and we're already well along the road towards that, and it's only accelerating. So again, I would direct people to that, uh, that article if they need more information on that. If you are watching this live, obviously I don't have this posted to my site yet, but when it gets posted to my site with the show notes at CorbettReport.com slash survival currency, there will be links to all of the things I'm gonna talk about tonight. But I just wanted that as sort of the way to set the table for this conversation, because as funny as this kind of fake letter is, it's based on the real letters that have already gone out. And that's just the beginning of the nightmare that we are stumbling into. Now, having said that, what I am here to talk about tonight, obviously is important. But we all know that, right? You're not here because you're just finding out about this or this is the first you've ever heard of it. Oh, I never knew that the government could control currencies like that. No, you know that there is a problem. So that's why you're here. So we're not going to dwell on that uh, for for the purposes of this talk tonight. What are we going to do? Well, that's a good question. So let me lay it out. What this presentation is not. This presentation is not another attempt to describe the problem. As I say, you probably already know about it, at least in general detail. If you want more specifics, I've talked about it for year after year after year for over almost a decade and a half now. So I'm pretty sure you can get caught up to speed from my archives alone, let alone everything else in independent media space. Uh, This presentation is not an attempt to solve the money problem once and for all. Here is how to do it. This is capital M, capital R monetary reform. This is how we will transform the entire nature of monetary reality. It is not an attempt to do that. And it is not an attempt to create a one singular solution that everyone must follow. Blanket. Everyone. This is for everyone. This is one size fits all. It is not an attempt to do that. What this presentation is, is an attempt to outline not even the necessity for, as I say, you already know, but the options for creating a survival currency emphasis on survival currency to be differentiated from that idea of some sort of alternate monetary paradigm where we'll set it up and it'll all be this big system that will all function this way and everyone will participate because it'll be all golden. No, no, no. We're talking about survival currency. When and if you get cut off from the grid, when your bank accounts are closed and your UBI or your social credit payment or whatever it ends up being gets cut off in the coming years as part of the Uh, a a biosecurity state tied into the biometric ID state tied into the social credit score, etc. When that nightmare coalesces and you get cut off so that you are not able to buy and sell in the officially declared, decreed legal tender of the land, what are you gonna do? That is when you need a survival currency and it better already be in place by that time. So that's what we're going to do in this presentation. This is meant as a starting point for those who are willing to begin the experimentation that is going to be necessary to find out what will thrive and what will fall to the wayside as we create alternate, alternative com- communities that will support other ways of transacting other than the filthy dollars or yen or pesos or euros or pounds that we think of as money. So, um, as I say... That's the broad outline of what we're going to attempt to do today. And more specifically, I want to stress some general principles that I think are exceptionally important to keep in mind as we proceed with all of this. The first one is, do not put the cart before the horse. And in this case, the cart is the currency. The horse is community. And what I mean by this is that any system that you come up with, some elaborate scheme, some accounting measurement and we use this and we transact this way with this kind of thing. All of those schemes are wonderful and amazing and I'm so glad that you have such wonderful ideas. But without a community that is actually dedicated to bringing that scheme about, that is actually willing to participate in that scheme, you have nothing. You have ideas that aren't even worth the paper they're printed on. Uh, Because you have to buy that paper that they're printed on in filthy dollars or whatever, not in this imaginary currency that you've imagined up out of whole cloths. So the horse is community. Put the horse before the cart and the horse will drag the, the cart. So the currency idea is great, but it comes after the community. That's why, as Derek noted in my introduction here, I have stressed and promoted the idea of Freedom Cells, which uh, I hope everyone watching this knows freedomcells.org is the place where you can go and start a Freedom Cell. Of course, As I'd like to stress, it doesn't have to be freedomcells.org. You don't have to do it through that organization. That's an idea, a way of connecting with other people. But if you wanna connect in other ways, please do. The point is to create community. And I like the idea of starting in small groups, groups of eight or something manageable, and then connecting to other groups. I think that's a much more stable structure um, and probably a better way to start the idea of talking about and then implementing transaction and exchange networks that will facilitate actual productive economic activity when and if we arrive at Mad Max apocalyptic scenario and or the government coming down and cracking down on dissent to the point of taking you off the, the payment grid. So that's the number one general principle I want to stress. Do not put the cart before the horse. Community is the horse. The second general principle, the perfect is the enemy of the good. We are not going to create the perfect system all in one whole fell swoop. And it's, oh, here it is. And this is it. And this is this is it for all time. Uh, and if that is the, the standard by which you are measuring what you are doing, then you are not going to get anywhere. You'll probably never even try because you will never me- uh, measure up to that in the real world. Certainly not at first. So do not uh, only hold the perfect as the standard by which we will measure everything against. Uh, another general principle to keep in mind, take advantage of existing systems. Do not reinvent the wheel here. We do not need to recreate and reimagine and start from scratch. Chances are there are already local community exchange networks that exist in your local area, whether that's a local exchange trading system and or some sort of community community currency or community dollars, or whether it's a time banking system, whether you have some sort of agorist network in your area, that would be heavenly, wouldn't it? But <coughs> take what you have in your local area and work with it. Um, move it along. If you have a, a freedom cell that can infest a, uh, a an already existing community currency and Maybe take it over (laughs) in some productive way that you can steer it more towards your ends. Hey, whatever you have to do, but don't necessarily start from scratch. That's going to be a lot harder than using something that already exists. If there is already an infrastructure in place where you live, that is probably the place you want to start trying to see how you can mold it and adapt it. And that's the next general principle. Adapt all the ideas that are presented to you and anything that you can think of, adapt them to you in your particular context with the people that you're working with, in the community that you're in, and for the, for the purposes that you want to facilitate exchange. Now, uh, again, if you're starting with a small group of people, that's going to be a different thing altogether than if you have some sort of mass idea for an online community of millions of people around the globe or something along those lines. There is And there's many things in between and different types of exchanges are going to happen in different contexts. So whatever it is, you have to adapt the ideas that you have for the context that you're operating in. Another general principle, it is not all or nothing. This is particularly evident in the monetary reform space uh, where there is a lot of dogma that either you are 100% dedicated to this particular idea in this particular way, only this is money and nothing else, or uh, or I don't I don't even want to transact with people at all. It is not all or nothing, especially when we get into survival currency. Sure, again, when we're talking about the theoretical system of the future where we're gonna create some sort of system that the entire world will agree on, it'll be so easy. Yeah, okay, we'll worry about that then, okay? Then we can have the all or nothing dogma, my, my way or the highway kind of uh, approach. When you are in a survival situation where you are literally scrambling to provide food for your family, chances are you're probably not going to be so dogmatic. So let's start from from that point of the survival currency. What can I do to facilitate exchange with people in my area who I know, who I want to exchange with, but we don't have access to these dollars, yens, pesos, whatever. So it is not all or nothing. Do not give into the dogma of that. And then the final general principle before we roll up our sleeves here, it is all hot air until you actually do something in the real world. It is just blather unless it is being done in the real world. And look, no one likes blather more than me. You know, good old James, he'll blather on for ages, but this is 2021. We do not have time for blather and for talking shops and for debating and going back and forth. I want to see real action in the real world. That is what we need right now, much more than yet more bloviating mouthpieces just flapping their gums. So in an attempt not to do that tonight, let's start. I want to dive directly into actual examples of existing things uh, that could serve as some form of survival currency for your... Community, however you define that, and whatever that may be. And again, these are all examples that hopefully you can take ideas from, you can adapt, you can see if they exist in your area, you can build on, you can discard completely if you don't like them, etc. These are just ideas that I'm throwing out on the table. So let's go through some of them, and uh, the more specific, the better. Now, again, as I say, the community is the horse. You have to put the horse first. So it really does depend on what your community is and what you envision for what kind of exchange trading facilitation you want to do. That will very much determine what kind of currency ideas you're, you're willing to look at. Now, the ideal situation, the absolute ideal, would be some sort of community where you know everyone personally on an name, first-name basis, you are friends, you you have the same goals, you want to accomplish the same things, you are working towards the same ends, you all want to support each other, there are enough of you to productively produce all of the things that you need in order to survive and thrive, and thus, you are perfectly committed to helping other people. If you see a, f- a friend in your community who needs something, you're perfectly willing and able to provide it for them, and vice versa. Everyone's harmonious. Yay. Nirvana. Yay. We can all go home because I, I really don't think we really even have to worry about money and currency in that situation. So everyone who is in that situation in their life right now, please put up their hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Precisely no one. Okay. Well, oh, well. Well, when you get there, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you won't need any of this survival currency nonsense, but for the rest of us living in the real world where we do have relations with people that we are not 100% in community with and or uh, are trying to, or, or don't have, or maybe even have that community, but aren't able to provide enough to sustain ourselves and thrive uh, in that way, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and start getting specific examples of what people have done and are doing to facilitate exchange amongst each other. And again, I want to start with really specific examples. So I will immediately break that rule by going to sort of a couple of the general ideas that are out there that unfortunately, again, fall prey to this uh, dogmatic approach that I talked about earlier. you know, I'm in the conspiracy space. I deal with dogma and woo on all sorts of things every day that uh, people have very strong opinions about. And yet, I'm not sure there is any, any space that is more... uh driven through with that type of dogma and woo than the monetary reform space and everyone has their angle and everyone is the messiah who has the one answer that's going to solve all your problems and every one of them is wrong. (laughs) Every one of them is wrong. Uh, Don't, don't fall into that trap, please. Um, But having said that, I know there are dogmatists who have certain dogmas and so I'm here to say, okay, great. Form your community based on your dogma. That's great. If it facilitates exchange, that's awesome. That is literally all I want is people to exchange. So I know, for example, there will be the people in the crowd. The only thing that is money is gold and maybe silver or precious metals or some sort of hard commodity like that. Great. Okay. Yeah, sure. Again, find your community where you are producing everything you need and everyone that you know will trade with you directly in precious metals. And I guess you're all physically in the same geo, uh, geo, uh, geological, geographical location because I mean, obviously, you're not doing this internationally, right? So, anyway, okay, great. Again, as I say, set it up. So obviously, I don't think I need to elaborate on the idea behind using precious metals as a form of exchange. Uh, It is a it's a hard money. It's a commodity-based money, um, which has its pros and cons. Um, And again, people will have come down on different sides of the dogmatic line on this. I I don't care. I'm not dogmatic. I'm agnostic. If it works, use it. Uh, Precious metals have worked historically because they are universally valued and universally recognized. Uh, They can be minted in ways that are standardized and recognized. And as long as no one's shaving the coins or putting uh tungsten in the middle or any of that kind of trickery and nonsense, then, you know, you can be fairly sure, okay, well, uh, this ounce of gold is worth about the same as it was a few thousand years ago in a different culture, so it is a good store of value. And it is also trustless. So the pros, it is universally recognized and universally valued to some extent, if only for intrinsic value, decorative value, industrial value, etc. Um, so it does have some intrinsic value. Um, the cons, it is a commodity money. So it does incentivize hoarding. Uh, you, uh, rather than a, a currency that is going to facilitate people actually producing something productive in the economy, it is going to f- uh, incentivize people to take, get as much of that physical commodity as they can and to sit on it for as long as they can, uh, which is not really productive. Look, again, I'm not broaching the dogmatic debate. I'm just saying, if it works for you, use it. Now, uh, I would, I would, I'm going to try to provide more info or places, resources that people can use to find more information on all the ideas I'm talking about tonight. But actually, uh, I don't know of a simple online registry or, or list of businesses that accept payment in precious metals specifically. So if anyone knows that, please share it with the audience. I think that's an important thing to have. I would understand if there are businesses that do not necessarily want it known that they will accept precious metals uh, or maybe even at a discount, accept precious metals because maybe they don't want Uncle Sam to know about such things or the uh, the local equivalent uncle, Uncle Takayuki here in Japan, I don't know. Um, so uh, maybe there's that type of uh, disincentive for those businesses to be listed. But I, I would direct people to where they can go and find businesses that will uh, list their uh, 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 their precious metals trading. But I, again, I'm, I I don't know of them. So please let me know. And now let's move to the next dogmatic, only this is money, which is crypto. There are the people who say crypto is the only the, the solution, the shining beacon of solution for what uh, we're facing right now. And it's perfect. It's, algorithmically generated so you can't you can't counterfeit it you can't fake it you know exactly how much exists you know the protocol so you know exactly how much will ever exist so it can't be inflated away and it's perfectly anonymous asterisk pseudonymous asterisk if you take 8000 different precautions and use everything absolutely perfectly and store it only on a device that you've only ever used once and never connected to the internet and and write it down on a piece of paper anyway and asterisk, 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 yeah. Okay, so again, um, again I don't think I need to at least explain the concept of cryptocurrency to people out there. I'm sure you have heard about it in some form at this point. If you have not, I would highly suggest you watch The Bitcoin psy which is an episode of my podcast that I produced, which is not what you think it is from that title. <laughs> Don't make that mistake, guys, because <laughs> I get a lot of people who <laughs> think they know what that episode is about, that they do not know what it's about. But yes, there, there are obviously cryptocurrencies that, at the very least, they are uh, no central bank needed. For a cent uh, for a cryptocurrency, they're going to try to as I've been talking about recently. They're going to try to transition us off into central bank digital currency, and they're going to elide that difference and basically Bitcoin, FedCoin, whatever you know that thing that digital thing you've been hearing about. Here it is, guys. Take your central bank wallet. They're going to try to do that, but a real cryptocurrency does not need a central bank. Does not need a middleman in the transaction. It is. Peer-to-peer. It's through a network that runs on a, a protocol that, well, different protocols work in different ways. So again, buyer beware as to what what protocol you're using. Are you on Bitcoin? Are you using Bitcoin Cash? Are you using Monero or Zcash or eighteen thousand different varieties, as people probably know by now. Um, and it is a trustless payment system, uh, like like gold. Um, or silver. You don't have to know anything whatsoever about the person that you're interacting with in any way. All you know is they've got the thing that they say they've got, and they can physically hand it to you. In the case of a precious metal, they can electronically send it to you in the case of crypto. So it's a trustless transaction. You don't need to know any details. And once it's done, it's done. Uh, Now, again, with the cons, uh, exactly like gold or precious metals. It is a commodity money. So the incentive, once again, is to hodl that money forever, which is exactly what Bitcoiners do. Hodl is the uh, the term for that, in case you didn't know. And, uh, and as any number of people will point out, and depending again what side of the dogmatic line you're on, the The big con of cryptocurrencies is the Mad Max scenario, man. What if there's an EMP strike that takes out all electronics in the entire world for the rest of your life? Then where's your crypto there, huh, smart guy, huh? (laughs) All right, well, if you were. If your main concern about what currency you're using is whether or not there will be a worldwide catastrophe that wipes out all electronics forever tomorrow, then yes, you should definitely not even look at digital currencies, even in the short term, even for a day. <laughs> but I'm not sure my uh, my contingency planning necessarily only looks at the Mad Max zombie apocalypse scenario as the only scenario we should be planning for. <laughs> it is a scenario, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't think that's the only thing we should be worried about. But anyway, as I say, that is a con. Um, it, you you need electricity and you need internet access. And, you know, the way things are going, internet access certainly shouldn't be taken for granted. It will probably become much harder when they uh, form, uh, perform the next cyber false flag to try to make internet access more difficult. So um, some resources that I could direct people to. Uh, There are some cryptocurrency merchant lists and buying items and services with Bitcoin type lists that I will put again in the show notes when this is posted to corporatereport.com later this week, if you're watching live. Um, But perhaps more importantly, uh, a service like agorist.market, which I talked uh, to Mike Swadek about recently. Uh, If people haven't seen that, go watch our interview uh, where I introduced that idea. Uh, basically, a service that just lists different businesses that will accept crypto and other forms of payment, including precious metals usually, but not always. Again, each seller can choose what they're listing. Uh, and potentially, at least these are people who are interested in agorism, so you could actually support something that's hopefully going to be part of the solution rather than the problem. Um, but Again, there's so much to say about that, but let's leave that there. Let's start looking and exploring some different options for people who want to look at other options other than those dogmatic uh, diehards of the the commodity money um, diehards. Let's look at, for example, uh, barter, barter exchange services. Now. Again, this is the type of idea that hopefully if you're in a close-knit community, maybe with a Freedom Cell or some other small close-knit community of people that you know and trust, you can set up some sort of system whereby if somebody has a need, another person can say, hey, I've got that, and vice versa, and you can swap and share and lend and barter and exchange in that fashion, in a very direct fashion where there's no currency needed whatsoever and hopefully you can help help each other out in tough times. Now, here's a specific example of that because I wanna point at specific examples as much as possible right now. There's a, an app that apparently has just been released uh, called Have Need. And uh, please do not take this as some sort of promotion of this idea. Uh, Zero. I am 0% guaranteeing any of this. I'm just pointing to it as something that exists that people might want to check out and start discussing with their community, with their Freedom Cell, with whatever, wherever you're discussing these ideas. Uh, uh, We'll take this from shareable.net. They have an article up on multi-party bartering app saves time, money, and the environment. Uh, It says, if you had a guitar that you didn't need anymore but you were in the market for a snowboard, the easiest and most frictionless exchange would be with someone who has a snowboard they want to offload and is interested in acquiring a guitar. But finding that person with exactly that need at the right time in the right place is a near Herculean task. What people want and need and what they have to offer in return are as varied and diverse as people themselves. Connecting people across this complicated web of needs and desires is exactly the challenge have need, a new bartering app is attempting to address. A task other bartering companies and sales platforms like Facebook Marketplace, OfferUp, Nextdoor, and Craigslist have failed at in the past. And then they have a quote from the CEO. The answer to what I saw as the problem of not having a successful bartering company to date were that none of them had implemented a multi-party barter architecture. This addresses the core friction point of barter, which economists refer to as the mutual coincidence of wants." So anyway... Uh, Again, I think this is an interesting idea. This specific idea, again, I don't know anything about this app. I'm not promoting the app in particular. I'm just saying as a general idea, the idea of barter exchange uh, is uh, certainly as the pro of being uh, requiring nothing to start. All you have is what you have and what uh, I can lend this. I don't need this. I can give this away and you can enter into a network with other people that Hopefully you can find some sort of coincidence of wants, even if it's through a multi-party system, whereby you trade with this person who trades with that person who trades with that person who trades with you, etc. So uh, again, there are ways to facilitate exchange, but the cause of that, of course, that type of exchange is entirely trust-based. You have to have some sense of who's on the other side of that transaction. You have to have some community, some reason for being together in the first place. Generally speaking, you can create... of wider apps for this, but that type of thing is largely trust-based, largely geographical. Uh, It's unlikely you're going to be exchanging things with people halfway around the world in order to get the snowboard that you wanted. Um, And again, it's extremely unlikely to produce really tangible and important results unless it is extended to a very large scale. Again, in your tight freedom cell community, it might be good for very basic things that everybody has or everybody needs or everybody wants or those kinds of small level things. But for random items that you might come across that you desire, it's probably not going to fit the bill. So unless you have a very large scale implementation. Uh, There are different um, ways to look at this and and different ideas out there. It doesn't have to be direct barter. It can be um, lending uh, in various ways. Uh, For example, again, in your in your Freedom Cell community your little group of people that you know and trust that are in your community and that you're working with together, hopefully you will have a list of things that, well, I have this, I have this. We don't all need an extension ladder. I've got one. If, you, if someone needs it, let me know. We don't all need a circular saw. I've got one. If, if someone needs it, let me know. That that can be coordinated much easier, again, on a smaller scale, but again, it's probably less fruitful the less people you have involved in it. Um, so. Resources. Uh, I'll throw in the link to haveme.org. Again, I know nothing about this app in particular. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying it's an example and an idea to look at. And uh, I'll throw in a link to shareable.net where we got that article from, which uh, talks about a lot of these ideas in the sharing economy, the gifting economy, exchange networks, those kinds of things. Okay, let's move on to another specific idea. Uh, this one is the Volos Tem, T-E-M, and this is, uh, from Volos, Greece, which is a port city in Greece that during the depths of the financial, the Greek financial crisis came up with a, I won't say innovative because it's actually just another iteration of an idea that's been tried many, many times, but it was somewhat successful in this case, at least at that time in 2011, 2012, it flourished, shall we say, in a, a relatively small area, but, uh, it, it, it gained some traction. And this was an idea for uh, a type of mutual credit uh, system based on LETS, which is the local exchange trading system, uh, which is a, an idea for mutual credit-based systems that uh, it takes a million different forms and has flowered up in a million different places in different ways to varying results. One example is the Volos Tem, um, where Volos residents, the residents of that town, Again, a small port town, I think 4,500 people. It was was a small place, but um, they could offer up their services uh, to their neighbors and get services in return. Um, Basically, something between a a labor exchange trading system or a a service exchange trading system and a barter system. Um, And a lot of businesses like cafes, for example, would exchange uh, a, a cup of coffee for some amount of euro and some amount of tem, and they were issued. uh, I don't believe they were notes. I think they they were just keeping a a paper ledger at one point, and I think they transitioned to digital. And it was... Uh, Pretty popular, Um, there were, I I think, uh, over a thousand people participating, a thousand different businesses, question mark, residents, question mark, participating Uh, last time I was able to find any sort of numbers about it. Um, I don't point to the Volos temp specifically as some sort of template to follow. Everyone should follow what they did in Volos. Um, Precisely because, uh, as I say, it did flourish in 2011, 2012. It was helping to facilitate transactions in that particular port city in Greece at that time. But, dot, 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 uh, I have found very little information in English about it since that time. There are there are a couple of articles I've found that have been written since that time that seem to indicate it is still ongoing. I don't know if it's still flourishing or thriving or many businesses are participating anymore, but it might be an example as a, of a survival currency. It's actually where I got, I think, the first my first indication that survival currency was a thing, because I remember following that story at that time. So if you type Volos or Tem into my search bar, you will find different articles and things that I've mentioned this in. Um, Again, not as some sort of template that I think is a great answer, but it was an example of there was a currency, there was a community that had a lack of the currency, the euros were not flowing around in Greece at that time. So they used that system to help facilitate exchange and it did help local businesses at least for a period of time so it's an idea to at least examine um the pros it, again it requires nothing to really get started with such a system all it needs is people who are motivated to 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 join such a system and have something to offer goods or services and generally in a time of crisis if you have a community already in place then that will be easy to start the cons is that uh it, well, it requires a community of motivated people. <laughs> and uh, there's something called Metcalfe's Law, which talks about networks being inversely proportional to the what is it, the square of the number of users in that network. Blah, blah, blah. It's a technical thing, but essentially it's the network effect. If you have a large number of people participating in something, a, a let's system or a time banking system, an hours system, there's lots of different variants on that idea. Uh, if you have a lot of people participating in it, it can be useful. If you do not, it probably isn't going to be useful. And that's the problem. It's the chicken and the egg question. So um, that could be a definite con to that type of approach. But uh, if you want more info on it, there is an official site for the Tem that I'll throw in. I don't read or speak Greek, so maybe some Greek uh, people in the audience can... Can take a look at that and find out more details about how it's uh, going currently. I'll throw in a link to a recent-ish article. It's only a couple years old about that, at least mentions the Tem and how it's how it uh, flourished. I, again, I can't really see whether or not it's still flourishing. Um, I'll throw in a, uh, a Journeyman Pictures uh, a video that was produced in 2012 about the the Tem and how it came about. That's interesting. Um, but on the more general idea of systems and uh, alternative community currencies, those types of programs, how they come about, how they can function. I'll throw in a book uh, called Money, Understanding and Creating Alternatives to Legal Tender that is by Thomas H. Greco Jr. Uh, that I think was helpful for me. Uh, it's It provides a good overview of the problem And then it gets straight into different examples of different things that people are doing. The drawback with that book is it was published in 2001. So it is 20 years out of date. (laughs) Uh, But I I throw in this link specifically because that book is free on archive.org. So there you go. You can at least dip your toes into the water. If you are interested in more about Thomas H. Greco and his more recent work, I understand he's at beyondmoney.net. So I will suggest people will take a look at that. And I know that there is at least one acolyte of Greco in the Corbett report community. So hopefully, again, when this gets posted to my website, he will be in the comments to answer any questions and direct people to more about the work of Greco. Um, But I I found that book helpful in looking at a lot of different ways that this can be implemented. Again, um, that was just one particular one. Okay, next, Ithaca Hours. Uh, Let's get into a couple of warning type of stories, ways that this could go wrong and things that you should be prepared for when you're preparing your survival currency, Ithaca Hours. And I say that actually as Ithaca Hours is often held up as kind of an example of how things can go right with alternative and local community currencies. Um, So Ithaca Hours was from Ithaca, New York. It was started a couple of decades ago or a few decades ago. uh, And it was a paper currency that was issued as part of a mutual credit system that was denominated in hours of work. So people were essentially pledging their labor into the system and then they could draw on that pledge of labor to purchase services from other people in the community using these paper notes that were then issued Um, that were denominated in hours. So one hour, I can't remember, I think it was equivalent to $10, 10 US dollars when it was first issued, which was at that time when it was first issued uh, in the 1990s, I want to say. I'm probably wrong on that. But at any rate, at that time, that was double the national um, minimum wage uh, in the u s so uh one hour of work was equivalent to ten dollars, and you could denominate your services in whatever you wanted i mean if you if your services were worth more than that, you could charge more multiple hours per hour of work et etc yada yada there i mean there's lots of details to that, but essentially it was labor based and was genera- generating value uh, that th- through actual service to the community. Um, so the pros of that type of system that was set up there was that it again it facilitated trade where there is labor and and people willing to work, but there is not enough money. Uh, the cons, as has been noted before, it's the kind of thing it's great for getting a haircut, it's great for getting a massage, but it's not great for getting things you actually need like eggs down you know down at the local supermarket, probably, rather than the farmer's market. I mean, it's it's useful in, an, uh, in a certain realm. Um, and I'm talking generally about these types of systems, not necessarily specifically Ithaca Hours, because Ithaca Hours actually was really quite popular and did persist for a very long time, I believe a couple of decades before it fell into disuse, um, much longer than most of these alternative c- currency, uh, community currencies, tend to last. So that speaks to its credit. It was set up and it, it functioned and it thrived. And when I talked to the founder of Ithaca Hours back in 2014, uh, he did mention at that time that uh, the best estimate was that something like $7 million worth of economic transactions had been transacted in Ithaca Hours in that local community. That's phenomenal. That's absolutely incredible. But Ithaca Hours is no more. Uh, Paul Glover, who was the aforementioned creator, who I did interview, so I hope people will go and check out my interview with Paul Glover on that. Uh, he created the currency. He was the, the, the evangelist who got it, the ball rolling, who got people on board with it, who got the businesses to participate, who, who made it happen. And when he left Ithaca and he left the community, it fell into disrepair. Um, as he has noted, it takes a full time, at least one full time representative in a community to be devoted to evangelizing and expanding a network in order for that community currency to actually flourish. So it is, it is a significant investment of time and, and effort in order to keep these things going. And as soon as the, that person, the visionary who saw it and who helped bring it about, as soon as they leave, these things often fall apart. And as I say, Ithaca hours is probably one of the longest lived versions of this idea that has come along in recent years. So it was uh, it's worth looking at uh, in terms of what can be done and what should be done and what shouldn't be done and how it, things fall apart. Because, yes, once we get out of the survival currency mode and we're looking towards flourishing somewhere down the road, we'll have to think about such things. Um, so... I will direct you to that. Uh, yeah, I understand he has a book on uh, on how to create a community currency as well that I will direct people to. Now, another warning example in terms of these examples is The Miracle of Virgil. Virgil? Virgil? I don't know. It's one of those crazy Austrian-German names with a umlaut on the O. So I'm... And a W? Is it a V? Is it Virgil? Virgil? I don't know. I mean... Some Austrian in the crowd can no doubt chastise me for my terrible pronunciation. But then I will ask them to pronounce the name of the province directly to the east of my home province of Canada. And I can have a good laugh at your expense. Ha ha ha. And then we can both have a laugh at the capital city of that province. All right. But the miracle of Virgil, which I will decide on that pronunciation, uh, is an instructive example when it comes to these types of community currencies. So here's here's the idea. In 1932, in the middle of the Great Depression, the Austrian town of Ruhrgel was in trouble and prepared to try anything. Of its population of 4,500, a total of 1,500 people were without a job and 200 families were penniless. The mayor, Michael unter If you take nothing out of this presentation, just take that name. Unter Guggenberger had a long list of projects he wanted to accomplish, but there was hardly any money to carry them out. These projects included paving roads, streetlights, extending water distribution across the whole town, and planting trees along the streets. Rather than spending the 40,000 Austrian shilling in the town's coffers to start these projects off, he deposited them in a local savings bank as a guarantee to back the issue of a currency known as a stamp script. Stamp Scrip. The Virgo money required a monthly stamp to be stuck on the circulating notes to keep them valid, amounting to 1% of the note's value. The price of the stamp was 1% of the note's value. A businessman named Silvio Gessel uh, came up with this idea in his book, The Natural Economic Order. Nobody wanted to pay for the monthly stamps, so everyone receiving the notes would want to spend them. The 40,000 shilling deposit allowed anyone to exchange script for 98% of its value in shillings, but this offer was rarely taken up. That was because the scrip could be spent as, one, uh, spent as one shilling after buying a new stamp. The money raised with the stamps was used to run a soup kitchen that fed 220 families. The council not only carried out all the intended works, but also built new houses, a reservoir, a ski jump, and a bridge. The key to its success was the fast circulation of the scrip money within the local economy, uh, 14 times higher than the shilling. This increased trade and, un- and employment, Unemployment in Virgil dropped while it rose in the rest of Austria. And then it's that idea. So the other towns in Austria were taking a look at this idea. And they're saying, wow, what's going on? The miracle of Virgil, as it's known. Incredible. Wow, it's doing all these crazy things in the middle of the Depression. And it's, it's flourishing. What's going on? We should adopt it. So what happened? What happened to the miracle of Virgil? Well, that's instructive. And we'll take this from a, uh, a an article written by Bernard Lieter, Liter? L- L- I should get that pronunciation right. A, A strategy for a convertible currency where he talked about this miracle of Virgil. He said no less than 200 cities of Austria decided to imitate Virgil. At this point, the Central Bank of Austria felt threatened in its monopoly of currency emission and blocked the extension of the system against the opinion of the vast majority of the population. This decision was appealed all the way to the Austrian Supreme Court, but was upheld. Wow! Surprise, surprise! It worked. It helped. It fostered. It helped the flourishing of a community and that community's economy and its its actual productive activity during a depression. We can't allow that. Wait! Whoa! whoa you're at you're issuing this without our approval. It's not going through our central bank. Uh oh! No! 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 Not! We're gonna squash that. And they did legally, of course, through the courts. It's the law of the land. What are you going to do? We got the guys with the guns. So this is another instructive example for people who are looking to create a survival currency because inevitably people in the crowd will say, well, yeah, sure. But if you create anything that actually works, they're gonna come after it. Yeah, absolutely, they are going to come after it. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to come after it. I would like to reiterate something that I noted on New World Next Week last week. Do you think there's a way out of this crisis that doesn't involve confrontation at some point? Do you think there's going to be a way to just create something new that'll thrive and completely replace the system that will never be challenged? That will ne- No, no. Oh, okay. Oh, they've created something that will completely obliterate our system. Oh, well, ah, I'm melting, I'm melting. No, of course, of course there is going to be confrontation. And I think we have to understand that, prepare for that in the ways that are possible, but also mentally prepare ourselves for what that might mean. And maybe, maybe, if there is to be another miracle of Virgil, uh, perhaps the residents of that future hypothetical Virgil will have to not lay over, roll over and lay down when the supreme high court of the land tells them to do so. And what does that mean? And where does that go from there? Hmm... Some extremely important things to be decided, but this is all part of the fun of going through the Great Reset and, more importantly, the Greater Reset. And these are competing agendas, so we better we better understand that and we better be prepared for that. All right, um, so, so much more to say on this subject, obviously. And as I say, I will have links to all of the things that I've talked about in the show notes for this when it is posted to my website But that's going to have to do it, I think, for this presentation. Uh, Please, please, please look into these ideas. This is so important. This is a fundamental thing, and it's already happening. Once again, remember Operation Chokepoint. Oh, that's totally in the past. They'll never do that again. Well, yeah, they will. And so we have to be prepared for that. We have to start Survival Currency. Thank you for your time and attention tonight. Excellent. Excellent. Great job, James. Thank you so much for sharing that with our audience. And yeah, you say the uh, operation choke point. That's actually why I can't accept credit card or debit card for my Kratom business, Brave Botanicals. It's because of operation choke point. So it's a very real thing. It's not something on the horizon. Before we let you go, Derek's going to say goodbye, but we wanted to take one question from the audience. And this one comes from uh, YouTube, Blackbird with James Gentleman. He does a podcast. He had Derek on recently to promote this. So thank you so much for that, James. Uh, the question is, now that the pandemic narrative is winding down, what's next? That is an interesting question. I would uh, I would dispute the premise. I do not think the <laughs> pandemic narrative is winding down. I think it's ramping up. And perhaps... Perhaps the COVID-19 scamdemic narrative maybe might come to an end this year. I'm not even ben- betting on that, but it might. But that does not mean that the, the the overall narrative is going to wind down. We are just stepping into the biosecurity paradigm, which I've been talking about, blowing the horn about as loud as I can for the past year. This is This is the transition into an entirely new paradigm. And just as the way the war of terror was the underlying fabric of the reality they were trying to weave around us for the first couple of decades of this century. This will be the, the, the fabric until the next whatever comes along. So I, I do not think that this is winding down. In terms of where is this going and what will this ultimately develop into, I am actually writing a series of articles about that right now. The first two have already been issued. The first one was on currency, uh, uh yeah uh, presciently enough, I knew I was gonna be talking about that tonight, so I, I got a head start. And the second one was on biosecurity and all the things that are coming along this. The third part, which will be released this coming weekend is on geopolitics. So that is available at my site. And I think there are some very in- important things that are happening right now that actually kind of weave all of these things together because the current monetary paradigm is ending. The dollar as king is ending, but in a controlled fashion, they want to bring in the central bank digital currencies to replace that. At the same time, this scandemic narrative is transitioning the economy over into something else and setting up a new geopolitical reality where we're starting to see things like the COVID vaccine passports. Well, each country will decide which vaccines they're going to allow for their vaccine passports? Oh, you've got the China vaccine? No, 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 no. You need the Pfizer vaccine, etc. Which is going to create an a, an entirely new over overhang on terms of, in terms of the geopolitical reality that is preparatory to the setup for the World War III, at the very least, Cold War narrative that we're heading into. That, as uh, I've talked about many, 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 many times before is absolutely as fake and staged as the original Cold War narrative was. If you need more on that, look at the work of Anthony Sudden who laid it out in black and white. I think we're seeing the exact same thing with the setup for a China-US conflict that's going to be equally fake and staged, but may result in very real loss of life and certainly will result in loss of liberties, already is. That's mm-hmm. unfortunately where things are heading unless and until we press the greater reset button through things like survival currency, and also, obviously, survival currency is about surviving right in the here and now amongst the people in your community. The end goal of this, or at least not the end goal, but it's a further goal, is to to try to create something that will thrive independently of the system and to grow that and flourish in that way. That's that's our vision for a people's reset that we have to oppose against that that scamdemic vision that uh, is helping to to bring about this this new normal. Thank you so much, James. All right, everyone. I hope you appreciated that presentation. And I hope specifically you appreciated what I was attempting to do there, which is get beyond the talking stage and into the action stage by looking at things that actually already exist in the real world and seeing how we can work with them or build on top of them or change them or discard them altogether as always, I want to stress that it is up to you to decide in your own context, in your own situations, what works for you and what does not, and how you can adapt what may already exist to your own purposes. I think that's probably the most fruitful way to go forward with an issue as fundamental as survival currencies. Again, you may not appreciate how important this subject is at this particular moment, but I have a feeling it's going to become a very important thing as we move further and further into the great reset and the new normal, or fail to move in that direction because we are already becoming autonomous. And that I think is the ultimate goal here. So as I say, horse before the cart, horse is community. So on that note, I I want to say that I'm disinterested in receiving feedback from people who have some sort of idea for a perfect monetary system that if only everybody would adopt this, everything would be perfect. I'm not disinterested in that. I am aggressively uninterested in that and will ruthlessly delete any such emails upon receipt because... That's great. That's wonderful. But we're beyond the ideal, let's imagine some perfect system phase. We're into the, let's create something real on the ground now so that we can thrive in the future phase. And on that note, I am profoundly interested to hear discussions from people, preferably people who are actively already engaged and involved in Some form of survival currency. How are you using that in your own community? What community is that? There are different forms of community. The Corbett Report community is a type of community, but it's an online community, and thus their interactions are in a certain context, in a certain way that are very different from real life interactions, etc., etc. So, what what communities do you interact with? How do you transact with them? In what currencies? And what are you doing to move forward? Anyone who is actually developed and or been involved in an active and ongoing community currency of some sort. I'm very interested in that type of feedback, hearing from you, what works, what doesn't work, uh, what could be done better, how can uh, your idea be built upon, etc. That's valuable information. And I think we need to uh, increase the signal and decrease the noise in conversations around these types of topics, because as I say, everyone has their dogma and woo and just loves to harp on their, uh, their hobby horse. But why don't we actually talk about what is working and not working in the real world so that we can move this conversation forward. That's the kind of community I'm attempting to foster at corporatereport.com. I hope you will go to the show notes once again, corporatereportcom slash Survival Currency. And of course, there will be the community, the corporate Report community's interactions and feedback, and hopefully people discussing their own uh, involvement in community currencies and how we can move forward from here. As I say, this is just the beginning of this conversation, just an exploration of what exists so we can see what we want to use and how we can build on that. I hope you use this as the resource that it is. And on that note, I'm sure we will be exploring this issue in much more depth over and over in the coming years. I think we're going to leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining uh, me for this conversation, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to you again in the near future.